Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. We continue our study in the Old Testament hymnal, the Book of Psalms, with Psalm number 40. To the choir master, a psalm of David. I waited patiently for Yahweh. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in Yahweh. Blessed is the man who makes Yahweh his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Yahweh my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips. As you know, O Yahweh, I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Yahweh, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Yahweh, to deliver me. O Yahweh, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha! Aha! But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is Yahweh. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. This is the word of the Lord. It's not always easy to pinpoint when David wrote all of his psalms that he wrote, which is 70 plus. This one seems to be perhaps from the time where Saul, the king of Israel, has David on the run and is seeking to destroy him, to kill him. That might make sense of verse 14, uh, let those be put to shame, disappointed altogether, who seek to snatch away my life turned back, brought to dishonor, delight in my hurt. That would be quite fitting. Uh, I don't know it particularly, uh, and that happens more than once in David's life. He's on the run from Saul for a while. So it's a possibility. 
certainly would fit the context. So he declares at the start of the psalm a hymn. He says, I waited patiently for Yahweh. He inclined to me and heard my cry. David prayed. He prayed to his Lord, and the Lord heard his prayer, and he answered. And as we share our faith with our children, that's something that we certainly want to focus on passing on to them, the idea of prayer, that we trust the Lord. We take our needs, our wants, our hopes, our desires, the needs of our neighbors, our pleas for his mercy for everyone. We take such things to the Lord in prayer, and we trust that he is faithful and just and that he hears our prayer and answers. As we see, David trusted and the Lord responded. And what did the Lord include in his response? Salvation. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog, set my feet upon a rock. So God has rescued David from his trial. He has strengthened him and set him on a solid foundation. Right, the difference between being in a bog and standing on a rock. The bog, that's kind of a messy, muddy feel beneath your feet and you might sink but upon a rock it is firm. David is secure because God has made him so. Just as Jesus talks about the one who builds his house upon the rock rather than on the the sand. He put a new song in my mouth. Perhaps he's referring to this very song because again, this is their hymnal. This is a psalm, a song that David has written and the Holy Spirit has inspired. So verse 3, he put a new song in my mouth, very well would fit with the idea that the Holy Spirit has given him this, this song to write. And what is it? A song of praise. To praise is to, to celebrate, to thank, to lift one up for what they've done. Praising God for what he's done for all of us. And David's hope here is that many will see and fear and trust in Yahweh so that they will see who God is, they will see what God has done, which will lead both to fear and trust. And those two things do go together quite well, actually. When we trust something, we believe it's capable of doing what it said. So I trust the news report means that I believe that they're going to tell me the truth and what they have said is going to be what happens or what happened, depending on if it's a forecast or a reporting of past events. To fear is also a thing of trust, because if I fear something, like I fear the weather report of bad weather today, it's because I believe that that thing, I trust that that thing is going to happen and it has some kind of ability to harm me. I trust that it can impact me in a negative way. Fear and trust, again, going together. So we fear and trust in Yahweh. As we say, as we talk about the first commandment, we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Luther's explanation to the first commandment in his small catechism. David hopes, truly, that many will see and believe. Blessed is the man who makes Yahweh his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. Maybe a family conversation on this one. Why are we so quick today to trust non-Christians? 
our government and the various officials in it, the, the media, again, <laughs> the people on TV who tell us what is, or the internet, or TikTok, celebrities. But we can go closer to home too, teachers and even family and friends. Why do we trust those who do not trust in God? Their father is the devil, who is the father of lies. Why do we believe that the things they say to us are going to be for our good? When they don't have the Lord to guide them to what is good. It's a worthwhile conversation just to talk about. It's not to say you can never trust the non-believer. But that trust is going to look a whole lot different than how we trust in the Lord, whose promises are good and true and faithful, and he never turns his back on his promises. He never turns his back on his people. He never steers us wrong. He never tells a lie. His word is true, as Jesus says in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That gets us into verse 5. You have multiplied, Yahweh my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. It's another good family conversation point. What does God think of you? What has he done? And I think Romans chapter 5 verses 6 through 8 is going to cover that quite well. The idea that while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And again, in that same section, God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What does he think of us? He loves us like a father loves his child. More than that, he loves us so much, as John 3.16 said, that he was willing to die for us. And he did. And now we are clothed in the robe of Christ's righteousness, and so when the Lord sees us, he sees not our sinfulness, but he sees his son, his son's perfection, reflected upon us. Such good news. So what has he done? He died. He took our sins away. He rose again. He gives us life. And he thinks very well of us because of Christ. None can compare with the Lord. None can compare with Jesus. And so I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. And John talks that way too in his gospel about how all the things Jesus did could not be contained in all the books of the world if they were written down. So David is singing thanks to God for what God has done for him, how he's rescued him from destruction, how he's perhaps guided him in battle against the Philistines and brought him up out of such things. Remember back to the wondrous deeds for Israel that he's been told by his father before him, rescuing them from Egypt and slavery. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. This might sound a little odd because in the Old Testament, the Lord has required such things. The book of Leviticus very clearly lays these things out. The book of Hosea will pick up on this. Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. It's not that the offerings are, are the problem. It's the idea that offerings are done in response to sin. If we were not sinners, there would be no necessary offering. The Lord would rather us be faithful to him and to our neighbor rather than have to make the offering. So he doesn't delight in the offerings, but he delights in David's prayer 
and in David's trust in him as his Lord and King and Savior, Deliverer. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me, I delight to do your will. O my God, your law is within my heart. This honestly reads as though David is quoting the Old Testament. Behold, I have come. So he's come to the temple of the Lord, tabernacle still at this point, come to God's house. In the scroll of the book, so the, that would be the law, God's, God's word, the parts that he has written down already, which would include uh, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I don't know of a direct quotation, though, for verse 8. There's not like a word for word anywhere you'll find. But instead, uh, maybe something like Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 10, or later in Deuteronomy verse chapter 11, verse 1, those two verses read, But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments, and again you shall therefore love Yahweh your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, and his commandments always. Deuteronomy is full of such instruction to follow the Lord in his will and his word and his ways. Also, though, connecting forward, I think we can point to the words Jesus speaks in John chapter 14, verse 15, where he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And that sounds very much like law. It does. It truly does. And it strikes people that Jesus speaks in such a way. But we remember what his commandments are as he speaks there in John 14, that he has just given the new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another from chapter 13, verse 34. So the idea of loving each other as Christ has first loved us is what he's giving us to do. So if the love of Christ is in us, what are we going to do? We're going to love him. We're going to love one another. It is fairly straightforward in that regard once you see the connection to John 13. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. So the great congregation reference to the entire kingdom of Israel that David is going to be king over if he's not already at this point. He's told them what God has done, how the Lord has saved them, delivered them from whatever evil it is, again, that they're in the midst of, but including going back to the Passover and God's salvation from slavery in Egypt. Behold, I have not restrained my lips. From what? From sharing God's word. And this, would that this were true for us also. May the Lord so make us bold that like David, like Paul, like Peter, our lips would not be restrained from speaking of the good things he has done for us. Lord, give us the, the encouragement, the strength, the conviction to speak your good news to our neighbors. Amen. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. And we can say the same, right? The, what Jesus has done for us is not meant to be stuffed into a box and then locked away, which is kind of the parable of the talents. And what the third man does is he buries the talent in the ground out of fear and then goes about living his life however he wants. Instead, no, we speak of his faithfulness to us. We speak of his salvation, how God keeps his promises, what the hope is that is within us. I have not concealed your steadfast love and faithfulness from the great congregation, again, Israel, Steadfast love is, again, a difficult Hebrew word for us to bring into English. ESV loves steadfast love. Uh, mercy, covenant faithfulness are some of the other common terms that you see for it. It is God's unconditional love for us that never wavers, never changes. And so as David has not restrained his lips from speaking of the Lord, 
so he knows that the Lord will not restrain his mercy from him. The Lord will continue to be merciful. He will continue to love. He will continue to be faithful. He will continue to preserve David. And this is the hope even of us today as Christians, that the Lord has lifted us up. He has brought us to paradise. He will. He's promised. Verse 12, evils have encompassed me. Not necessarily in others, because look what he says. My iniquities have overtaken me, I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails. So great is our sin. There are a lot of hairs on on our heads, and yet our sin outnumbers them. Sin is not a minor problem, uh, like a scratch that just will go away in time. Sin runs deep. It overtakes us, and yet... As David pleads, Yahweh, deliver me. Be pleased to deliver me. So he has. Again, John 3.16, what Christ has done. And God has saved David from, again, Saul, the Philistines, and so forth, various enemies. But the Lord has ultimately saved us from the enemy of sin, death, and the devil. And that is also true for David, just as much as it is for us. So verse 14, we covered at the beginning. This may give us the indication of where this is written, when this is written, in regards to Saul pursuing him. May not be, but this idea that there are those who seek to hurt him and take away his life, that he wants their plans thwarted. That's his prayer. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha. That seems like one who's trying to catch David in some kind of a, a trap or a sin so that they can mock him when they see him fall. But instead, verse 16, may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord, great is Yahweh. I'm reminded of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. We, we give thanks to God, always, for what he has done. Indeed. And then the prayer at the end is true of us as well. As for me, I am poor and needy. Luther's end of life written down, the final thing he wrote, we are beggars, this is true. But God is faithful. The Lord takes thought for me. He cares for me. And so that one reminded me of Romans chapter 8, verse 26, where we read from Paul that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Thanks be to God. He knows our needs before we even pray. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. This is true. He has come to save us, and he has promised he will come again, to which we say, as Revelation 22 teaches us, the simple prayer of every Christian. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus.